McPherson sitting in for Gormley on this Monday morning. Hope your week is off to an awesome start, no matter where we find you in this beautiful and slightly foggy province of ours this morning. Yep, fog warning still in effect for a lot of west-central Saskatchewan. Click on those headlights. Do everybody else a favor. I mean, you're doing yourself a favor by keeping other drivers from plowing into you at full speed. But let's consider it doing unto others in this case. Click on those headlights, folks. We have a big, big show coming up for you. Benjamin Perrin, a UBC law professor, is going to join us at 10. He's got a recent book out about reforming Canada's, well, let's say it, Canada's broken criminal justice system. There is a number of reasons why we send people to jail for meth possession, and then a couple months later they're getting arrested for meth possession again. There's a few good reasons behind that, and we're going to unpack some of those with Professor Perrin coming up at 10. A little bit after that, Marvin Rotrand is going to be here from Benai Brith, Canada. He's the national director of their League for Human Rights. And, well, you've seen the sheer amount of ignorance going on with the war between Israel and Hamas. It's It's absolutely insane, and it's got them thinking about education as well. Did you know that a Holocaust education isn't a mandatory subject here in this province or many other provinces? I took it in elementary school, grade seven or grade eight. We did like a three week unit on the Holocaust and it was, I remember it because it was traumatic. Seeing the footage of the bulldozers pushing bodies into pits to be burned and the human skeletons standing at the wire, like those, those are images that stay with you. I remember my Holocaust unit that we did, but it's not mandatory. We're going to find out more about that at 1030. Also, speaking of ignorance and disinformation around the war, we're going to catch up with a journalism professor, uh, Juliana Kirshner, with the Annenberg School for Communications and Journalism all the way at the University of Southern California. Unpacking how social media is both a boon a very helpful tool during wartime especially, and how it can be a tool for propaganda and a tool for disinformation at the same time. The war in Ukraine was fascinating to watch unfolding on Twitter. Do you remember those first few days of the invasion? It was really remarkable because you were seeing live updates. Oh, this jet just flew over my house. Someone posts the video. And then 10 minutes later, you say, oh, yeah, I saw the jet hit hit its bombing target over here. And you'd see more footage of the same. Like, it was insane. The amount of information that was coming at us in real time videos, not just from soldiers and from politicians and from journalists, but from just people on the ground. It's happening again right now in the Israel-Hamas war. And exactly the same as it was with the war in Ukraine, there's a lot of misinformation thrown in with the really interesting, relevant, topical information that always comes. Oh, and Tom Korski is going to be here from Blacklock's Reporter, one of my favorite guests, a regular on this show. How bad is this carbon tax thing hurting Justin Trudeau and his Liberal Party? Pretty bad. It, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that it really seemed like they just didn't think this through, that anybody would tell them, hey, wait, you can't just give an exemption for the one area where you need votes and where the polling clearly shows that you need votes. Everybody else is going to be mad about that. You can't go to a, a birthday party for kids and only give cake to the three kids who you like. You can't do that. 
Well, you can, but you're going to end up with a lot of crying children. Not that, not that the Saskatchewan government is crying children over this, but honestly, like fairness is something that human beings are really keyed into. Fairness matters to us. Did you ever hear about the the monkey? Someone had like a pet chimp, and they gave it back to an animal. They gave it to an animal reserve because they couldn't care for this chimp anymore. And they went to visit it once, and they brought this chimp like an ice cream. And the other chimps got so jealous of this chimp getting the ice cream that they ripped it apart. Yeah, fairness is not even just a human trait. Yeah, because monkeys are supposed to always give up food to, like, the dominant monkeys. I, I don't know how we got here based on carbon tax, but here we are. Do you think that this is actually going to hurt Justin Trudeau? Or do his supporters just plow through it like they do with everything else and go, yes, of course we need exemptions for oil heating. We're trying to get people off of oil heating, and this is just a temporary transitional measure, and the carbon tax still necessary, still applies. And, oh, by the way, everybody's getting more money out of the carbon tax than they're putting in because it's magic that way. I I honestly don't know. It's kind of worked for him over the last few elections, Hey, just plowing through it all. He just puts his head up high and goes, I'm the most dignified, nice guy. You want me in charge of Canada? Look how scary the conservatives are. Look how the NDP are just doing a bad impression of me. I'm the guy. And a lot of Canadians seem to agree. one 332 8255 Is this going to be the thing? Or is this just going to be the next thing that Trudeau puts his head down and plows right through on his way to another re-election and maybe a slimmer minority this time? one 332 8255 Marina in Regina says, well, she's keyed in on the unfairness of it. She says, I almost think it's criminal that they would charge anyone the carbon tax to heat your home this winter. Let's see. We're going to find out today, Marina in Regina says, how much Jugmeet Singh really cares about the people in Canada? one 332 8255 Rick in Mexico, hey, international listener, I love it, says everything Trudeau's entire crew has done has been a disaster. But this one, my God, let's take taxpayer dollars to buy back votes in the East. How could you create a more divided country? That's Rick all the way from, geez, I can't even pronounce it. I'm not going to try Spanish pronunciation on the radio. I'm sorry. Uh, but he is listening in Mexico, and we love it. you got to wonder how much the Atlantic Canadians are thinking about this. Like, they would love to, I would love to get a break on home heating. But thinking about it the opposite way, what if Trudeau had come out and announced a home heating break for just natural gas? which would apply very much in reverse. Uh, Most of the people in Saskatchewan and in the West would get a break. And those in the East, in Atlantic Canada, who are heating their homes with oil, would not. I honestly don't think my feathers would be too ruffled as the people out East started banging the drum of unfairness. Because my wallet is going to get a little bit heavier, and I'm pretty happy about that. It, it is very hard to argue against something that benefits you financially. Even if the argument is that it should benefit everybody financially and it does not. Maybe you're more generous than I am though. Maybe if Trudeau had announced a break on, on natural gas, maybe you would be the one standing up for our friends in Atlantic Canada who heat with oil.
That's a difficult proposition, though, isn't it? But I suppose the fact that most of the MPs out east are liberal MPs mean that you probably won't hear the unfairness arguments coming, at least not as loudly, from Atlantic Canada. But it is the Council of the Federation this week, as Canada's premiers get together and meet and put their heads together. And I feel like Scott Moe is going to be asking some tough questions of the premiers out east and out in Atlantic Canada. one 332 8255 uh, Leslie in Saskatoon is concerned over some of the protests that you've seen in favor of Hamas and in favor of Palestine since the Israel-Hamas war broke out. Leslie says, I am extremely concerned why our federal, provincial, and municipal governments are not charging the protesters who are inciting hate against Jewish people here in our country. There are sections in the criminal code for exactly that. That's Leslie in Saskatoon. Well, I mean, if someone's breaking the law, police should be enforcing the law. There have been some ugly, ugly protests, haven't there? And just some of the things said are really, really unfortunate. And I think in a lot of cases, it goes back to our education piece that a lot of people, it seems, are going to these protests without really a great idea about what's going on. Tristan Hopper in National Post wrote a really great explainer on some of the criticisms that people are hurling at Israel. I'll read a little bit from it for you next. Stay locked to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. McPherson sitting in for Gormley as we get this week underway. And we were just talking about some of the protests, particularly some of the anti-Israel protests that we've seen in Canada and indeed around the world following Israel being attacked by a terrorist group. Kind of staggering. But there's a lot of... Well, let's call them untruths being said about Israel. Tristan Hopper, writing in the National Post, debunks some of the most common claims made by these protesters. Israel, Hopper writes, is not, under any circumstances, an outpost of settler colonialism. He traces Jewish roots all the way. He he notes that Jewish people are not indigenous to Poland or Brooklyn. They're from Israel. And he notes that their roots there go back, like, even before prehistory, all the way back to the Neolithic times. If Israel is a settler colony, Hopper says, it's notable as the only one where the settlers just happen to be colonizing an area where their direct ancestors built and maintained sprawling places of worship more than 2,000 years prior. Not really a settler state. Do you want a two-state solution? That's something Justin Trudeau has called for. Hopper says, if you want that... Maybe ask the Palestinians why they keep rejecting it. Hopper notes that these have been offered by Israel a proper two-state solution since 1948 when Israel was first formed, most recently in 2000. He says that in that most recent occasion, Yasser Arafat, president of the Palestinian National Authority, said no and then launched four years of suicide bombings. Hopper says if you want Israel to de-occupy Palestinian land, there's good news. Because they did in Gaza. If there was one unde- excuse me, if there's one unifying characteristic among rapacious land-hungry colonizers, Tristan Hopper writes, 
It's that they don't voluntarily surrender waterfront territory. But Israel's done this twice, 13 years after capturing the Sinai Peninsula during the Six-Day War in 1979. They gave that back to Egypt in exchange for a peace agreement, which stands till this day. Then in 2005, Israel withdrew from the Gaza Strip, an area that it occupied after seizing it during the Six-Day War. So they have deoccupied Palestinian land. Hopper debunks a couple more myths here. He says... The genocide myth is very common, but if Israel's trying to commit genocide, they're very, very bad at it. Hopper points out that the Palestinian population is growing dramatically. It's gone from about 1 million to about 5 million since that six-day war. 5.5 million, in fact. Even the lesser genocide charge, he says, that of attempting to erase a people through assimilation, doesn't hold up. Because the first step in any cultural genocide is to erase language and religion. And after 56 years of Israel administrating the Arab-majority West Bank, guess what their chief language is? Arabic. Guess what their chief religion is? Islam. They're pretty bad at genocide culturally or otherwise. He also notes that they're terrible at apartheid. He's actually very funny on this one. He says, for obvious reasons, it's always been a little difficult to equate Israel to Nazi Germany, which is everyone's usual first choice for most evil country. So Israel instead was shoehorned into comparisons with apartheid South Africa. But even though Jews are the majority in Israel, Tristan Hopper writes, one-fifth of the population is Arab and enjoys full citizenship. Did you know Israel swore in its first Muslim Supreme Court judge last year? Arabs are actually exempt from the draft in Israel, but there are Arabic volunteers in the Israeli Defense Force. And in 2021, Israel's Arab list, the political party, was part of the government. They were part of the governing coalition. That's terrible apartheid. They're really, really bad at it. We're going to get more into the lack of education on this coming up in the next hour. We're going to talk about the push by B'nai B'rith to make Holocaust education mandatory. Because obviously the creation of Israel followed directly from the Holocaust. Never again. A homeland for the Jewish people. That was really the driving force behind it. And did you see the German Chancellor's video? It was unbelievable. His speech about just condemning anti-Semitism and talking about Germany's historical obligation to the Jewish people. I admit it sounded a little eerie. Because it was a German man speaking in German about his support for Israel and for the Jewish people. And, you know, all of the old World War II clips you hear about people speaking German and talking about the Jews is typically pretty negative. It was staggering. But the amount of cultural guilt that Germans carry with them persists to this day. And that's why Germany was maybe the first and probably the staunchest supporter of Israel in its ongoing war against Hamas. Speaking of, there are still Canadians trapped in Gaza. According to Global Affairs Canada, the evacuations are set tentatively to begin today. But they were actually supposed to begin over the weekend. There were some issues with the Palestinian Crossing Authority. It was essentially barring anybody with foreign passports from crossing because, according to the Palestinian Crossing Authority, Israel was barring Palestinian medical patients from crossing over into Egypt. It may still be some time 
before we get all of the Canadians out of Gaza. one 332 8255 the Israel-Hamas war, the carbon tax fight, any other battle on your mind on this Monday morning. Let's go to Bonnie in Wadena. What are you thinking on the carbon tax here, Bonnie? Well, I think this is the end of Trudeau's reign. The carbon tax was his holy grail, the only answer to climate change. The nation finally sees it as an ideology, not real, and he has sacrificed it for the votes in Atlantic Canada by giving them an exemption. And people are tired of this liberal arrogance and the cost of living increasing. And every April 1st, he makes fools of us by increasing it. We've had it with him. He's on his way out. It's Bonnie in Wadena thinking that this is going to be the nail in Justin Trudeau's coffin. And yeah, the carbon tax has really been his big keystone policy. It's what Trudeau and the Liberals have hung their hats on for quite some time. Basically, their entire time in power has been about this carbon tax. And acknowledging that it actually costs people money instead of giving them money was I think a bit of a bit more of a turnaround than was first acknowledged. Remember when Trudeau announced the oil heating exemption? He was saying that it's an affordability issue. People in Atlantic Canada, the carbon tax is making life less affordable for them. A stunning reversal from the early carbon tax messaging, which was you will get more than you put in. Maybe they're moving from denial into bargaining in the stages of grief as they mourn the slow death of the carbon tax. We'll have to wait. That vote's coming up at 2. Lots more still ahead here on Gormley. I'm Taylor McPherson sitting in for John. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. McPherson sitting in for Gormley as we get this week underway. Just a brief stint in the host chair for me. John is back with you tomorrow morning as we get the results of Ottawa's vote on the carbon tax. Let's see. I have an absolute glut of content right now. I've got tons of carbon tax texts. I've got needles in Halloween candy. And I've got Ari waiting on the line to talk about bikes. one 332 8255 We always go to the phones first. And I actually didn't know about this one. Ari, what's happening in Saskatoon with cycling? So, Taylor, quick question for you. Who taught you to ride your bike? Uh, that would be my dad, Les McPherson. I was very bad at it. I, I scabbed up both of my knees a few times. I wanted to quit. He made me keep going. So according to the city, he should be paid about $90,000 for coordinating your learning to ride your bike. Wait, what? There's an RFP, a request for proposal for a bike education consultant who will lead a delivery of the BYXE street team that will be responsible for online education, the rules of the road, existing bike network, and building community support for cycling. Wow, $90,000 is good work if you can get it. Well, it's more than that because it is $90,000, but only 40 of that comes from the province or the city. Some of it supposedly comes federally, but then they're going to hire a team to work with that consultant to attend events and things like that. Well, yeah, what good is a consultant if they don't have a whole department to manage? My goodness. Wait, Ari, this is the same city of Saskatoon that's still trying to figure out how it's going to pay for last year's snow clearing, right? This is the same city of 
Saskatoon who doesn't even have bike lanes, but we're going to teach people how to use bike lanes that don't exist. <laughs> okay, okay I well, well, I want to challenge you real quick, Ari. Because yeah. when I encounter cyclists on the road, it does seem like about 50-50 that they actually understand the rules of the road. Do you see this maybe having a benefit there? I'm not saying that there's not a benefit on education, but we already have some really good active cycling groups in town. So rather than create a new infrastructure, if you believe this is a priority, where they go to events and they do cycling education and those types of things, if you believe that's a priority, support those groups. They don't need, I mean, let's say it's going to cost 90000 for the consultant and another 90000 for the staff to, perform, to do these at these events. So let's just give, if we're going to spend the money, just give it to these groups that are already doing it. They know what they're doing. Help them out with their printing costs and that kind of stuff because they're already out there. We've seen these groups there. They're at every event already. Good point. That's Ari in Saskatoon. Not too happy on the city's spending. Yes, City Hall employment in Saskatoon seems to be kind of right out of line in a lot of cases. We've we've looked at some of these RFPs and uh, different job postings that they put out in the newsroom, and some of them are kind of ridiculous. Like there was one, it was thousands a year for somebody to help like move people's carts out to the street, like their garbage and recycling and stuff. I think, I think, I'm not sure because I don't have the number in front of me, so don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure that that person, the cart move helper, was in line to make more money than I do. All right, let's go over to the text line because it has just been blowing up on carbon tax because today is the day MPs in Ottawa are going to vote on extending that heating exemption that's currently for Atlantic Canadian homes that are heated by oil to all homes that are heated in Canada by any means. Doesn't that seem fair? Doesn't that seem like a no-brainer to pass? We're going to find out. At 2 o'clock, just how many no-brainers there are really in the House of Commons. one 332 8255 Brian in Saskatoon says, I don't think this is a case of fairness. This is a case of people fighting for their lives if they're outside of the Atlantic provinces. Now, maybe that's hyperbole. But I'll tell you, if homes don't get heated, people are fighting for their lives. You better start chopping wood. one 332 8255 Kenny in Saskatoon is uh, making a bit of a negative prediction here. He says, as unpleasant as Trudeau and the Liberals' exemption for home heating in Atlantic Canada is, I bet he's just going to plow through the election and win again. Every government around the world carves out exemptions for its own. At least the Liberals didn't do this unannounced. Yeah, I mean, at least they did own it, which, of course, gives Premier Scott Moe and Carla Beck and uh, Pierre Polyev and everybody else a ton more arrows in their quiver. It, it might have been better in this case if he just snuck it through, you know, hide it in a budget in like page 975 as like a footnote line item and hope to goodness that no journalists actually dig that far and find it. It would come out, but he could just say, oh, yeah, we've been planning that for years. We consulted with everybody. It's already done. It's been done. No big deal. Like, to have the arguments before it's been done is so much more harmful for Trudeau because in everybody's eyes, he still has time to walk this back. He does, by the way, 
still have time to walk this back. We'll see if he does. CJ in Regina says anybody who still supports Trudeau after all he's done to divide the people of Canada must be as delusional as he is. His carbon tax has to be totally eliminated and we need an election ASAP to elect Pierre Polyev so we can axe this tax and be proud to be Canadian again. Trudeau and Jugmeat have hurt this country for long enough. That's CJ in Regina. I am so torn on how this next election is going to go. On the one hand, the conservatives have kind of screwed up the last couple of times. Andrew Scheer was not really the guy. Aaron O'Toole, not really the guy. Pierre Polyev, it seems, probably is the guy. But the guy has the personality of a wire barbecue brush. Like, he's funny and he's clever and he's witty, but... Like, I just, I don't think that I'd want to, like, hang out with Pierre Polyev at all. I don't think we'd have a lot to talk about. But, and and granted, none of this has any bearing on his politics. He'd ax the carbon tax. That alone probably means he's a better choice for Saskatchewan than Trudeau. But there's a lot of people who vote with their hearts. They vote for someone they think is nice. They vote for someone they do want to have a beer with. Most of those people end up voting for Jagmeet Singh. Pierre Polyev's abrasiveness and his combativeness, I think, might hurt him more than he realizes. Now, I'm not saying we need a hug box, super nice prime minister who's all touchy-feely all the time and, oh, look at how fancy my socks are. We've, we've tried that. It's not necessarily the best. But I don't think it would be the worst thing for Pierre Polyev to think about softening his approach a little bit. Because the people who voted for Trudeau, they might stay home in the next election. They might get soured on Justin enough. They might go, you know, I've had it with this carbon tax. I'm just, I'm going to stay home. But it would take a lot. It would take more than Polyev is doing right now. To get people who had voted for Trudeau the last couple of times out to vote for Polyev next time. It's going to take more than he's doing. And it's more about his personality than his politics as well. one 332 8255 Let me know. Do you think Polyev's kind of combative attitude is going to hurt him in the polls the next election? Remember Trudeau's campaign in 2015 when he was running against Stephen Harper? He'd just have to bring out those old talking points, you know, the the old stingy economist versus the young, cool, hip new guy. Granted, he's actually older than Pierre Polyev is. He's older than uh, Jagmeet Singh as well. It's kind of interesting that Trudeau is the old man in Canadian politics at this point, but the arguments would still stand. The same ammunition that he used against Harper would also hold against Pierre Polyev. Darren in Saskatoon. Agree? Disagree? What do you think on this one? Well, your comments, Taylor, and by the way, you're doing a fabulous job of jumping away. Oh, thank you, Darren. You're welcome. Um, your comments there that he doesn't quite have the personality that's very uh, friendly. But we're not having an election to get a new friend here. We're having an election for somebody to run the finances of the country. Now, the last guy that got elected because he had a great smile and wonderful hair and look at him, he's so wonderful, is Trudeau. And look where we are now. We need somebody that's going to lead the country. 
not pander to every little small social group or every little interest group. We need somebody that's going to make hard decisions and make the right decision when it comes time. Oh, I agree. And I think people should vote based on like big picture politics and vote on who's going to make the choices on the issues that are going to affect me in the best way. But Darren, there are a huge, there is a huge voting block of Canadians that wants to vote for someone they like. And I think Pierre might be hurting himself on that front. Valid point. There is that. But the majority of voters out there, and I'm going to say a lot of them, don't vote. That's true. Our problem. If the majority of voters out there are saying, like, I wouldn't vote for Trudeau because he is too friendly, or I want to vote for somebody to take care of me and this country, then get out and vote. That's a good point, Darren in Saskatoon. There's a lot of apathy there. But I think it's really hard for people to change votes, too. I I mentioned that earlier, that say someone had been a conservative voter for 10 years, they'd soured on the conservatives, something they'd done they didn't like, and they wanted to vote for someone else. It's a big step to actually cross the aisle and check that box for for Jugmeet or for Trudeau. It's a lot easier to just stay home and pretend like the election isn't happening. one 332 8255 More of your calls and your texts next as the hour of the big stories rolls along here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. McPherson sitting in for John Gormley on this Monday morning. We were just talking about the clash of personalities happening in federal politics. And I suppose part of this is because the really, really great people don't end up being federal party leaders because why would they want the headache? They can go do something great that's not necessarily in the public eye, that doesn't have half of Canada hating their guts all the time. And it would just be so much easier to not do that. Heck, even just be a backbencher MP, just throw your hand up eight or ten times a week, do that for enough years and collect a decent pension and you're good. You know, why would you even want that headache? But I was making the argument that as much as Pierre Polyev might be seen as kind of the savior by a lot of conservative voters, certainly he's a better option than Andrew Scheer or Aaron O'Toole put together. He does have this kind of smarmy, smartest kid in the class, dare I say, annoying personality to him. He's, he's a bit abrasive. Is that enough to hurt him in an election? That comes down to the voters. A lot of people are saying, well, Trudeau's really the abrasive one. He just does it with a smile. Maybe that's a good point. David in Yorkton calls in at one 332 8255 What do you think of Pierre Polyev? Is he going to be the guy? Well, I hope he's the guy. And I think I, I kind of want to disagree with you a little bit. I think he's got a great personality. He's the most well-spoken, presented politician I've ever seen in this country. That's the first thing. Secondly, his logical and common-sense approach is a great way to do things. And I'm sorry, we're not looking for Grandma to be Prime Minister here so you can hug and, and be all kind with her. This guy's got a big job to do. No, that's that's very true. But I think back to Stephen Harper, who was also very logical and very common sense, but he never had this kind of 
the annoyingness that that I think surrounds Polyev. And maybe maybe I'm getting caught up in the kind of Twitter sphere of it all because there's a just a yeah. ton of Polyev hate floating around. But I, I don't hate well, the guy. I just think he could maybe soften it down a little bit. I guess, but he's got to make a point here. And and you know when you go back to Harper, I don't know. Har- Harper had a personality of a of a post just about. I mean, you couldn't talk to him, and he always thought he was so much better than everybody else. I I, I think Polyev is really down to earth. I actually met him this weekend. He's he's very easy to talk to, and I, I guess depending on what setting you see him in and how you feel the approach is, but I I don't think he's. I, I think he's the best guy we've ever seen. He was at the Sask Party convention, right? Did you catch his speech, David? Yes, I did. How'd he do? He did great. Interesting. Well, it's the uh, government of Saskatchewan has certainly hitched their horse to Pierre Polyev, and I wouldn't be surprised if many, many more Canadians aren't doing exactly the same. I wouldn't be surprised if he wins either. I was just raising the point that maybe if he wants to beat Trudeau, he should take more of a page out of Trudeau's book. We'll see. He's got his own route. He's definitely listening to his strategists. He's definitely got the best team of conservative strategists that we've seen in quite some time. We'll just have to see what happens the next time Canadians head out to the polls. All right, what is it with people trying to get kids stuck with needles these days? Honestly, I've got not one, but two stories about like pins and needles found in Halloween candy around Canada. I used to think these were a myth. They got photos in both of these cases uh, in, in Toronto, a coffee crisp bar. It's broken in half here in the picture. There's a pin sticking out of it, and it's like right in the middle. Like if you were trying to get someone to swallow a pin exactly where you would put it. There's also a needle in, uh, looks like an O. Henry bar in Mississauga. And in one case, an adult ended up with minor injuries after it looks like trying to ingest this nail. They didn't ultimately ingest the nail, but it sounds like it was a pretty close call, at least to the point where the adult ended up with injuries. Thank goodness for the dad tax on the, on the kids candy, right? And then there was this story out of Saskatoon from last month. The person leaving needles around at the playgrounds and schools. Did you see this one? Just live your lives, folks. You don't have to stab kids with needles. It's okay. You can just get up, go to work, go home, and go to bed. You don't have to hide needles in Halloween candy or on on playgrounds. The, The insidious thing on this, like, you can tell it's deliberate. Police released a video of this playground needle lever. And in one case, he drops the needles on the ground and then kicks like the sand or the mulch or whatever it is on this on this playground over top of it. Just evil, some of these folks. But yeah, take a second and go through your kids' Halloween candy if you haven't already. Plus, then you get to grab the good stuff for yourself. News is next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.